Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by Sixter, allowing marketers to automatically inject clickable images called campaigns into every one of their employee email signatures to promote their company's most important initiatives or content. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Content Pros Podcast. Really excited today. Joined by one of my good friends, Matt Sweezy. Thanks, Chris. Matt, it's great to have you here. Uh, it's Randy here and, uh, you know, really excited to have you on today. Uh, for those who don't know Matt, um, you know, I encourage you going to check out his own site where you can find out a lot of the topics he, he will address, um, where he is a principal of marketing insights at the salesforce.com and uh, in the past though Matt you know you've, you've brought us a lot of great content including things like the uh, marketing automation for dummies book so you know before you kind of tell us a little bit about what drove you to, to take things there you know maybe you can start us off um, you know aside from telling us a little bit about what you do I mean we're, we're closing in on 2016 here uh, before we know it it will be 2016 where do you see you know marketing going you know it's in the world that we talk about with content in 2016 oh my gosh so many questions all right let me jump on one um, <laughs> thanks so much for having me guys uh, you know love love hanging out chatting about this stuff yeah I mean 2016 is going to be a very interesting year I, I think you know, from when we look at the statistics of what we asked people, and we did uh, at Salesforce, we did a big uh, study called the State of Marketing, both uh, B2C specific, B2B specific, and the State of overall. And we asked marketers what their number one to, well, number, number, you know, what were their biggest concerns, and we didn't rank them number one through three. Uh, and they really all kind of boil down to, you know, how do they drive new business among a changing consumer landscape? It's kind of how I paraphrase for it, but I mean, that the answers are lead generation, keeping up with trends, uh, you know, the topics of that nature. So I think the biggest thing that we're going to see in 2016 is people really understanding some of the core basics. Uh, well, let me break it down into three things. The most advanced marketers in 2016 are going to be really focused, focusing on taking more advantage of dynamic and predictive content. Um, your average marketers are going to be focusing on how do they tie all of their systems together. Uh, and then kind of the, the marketers who are just really kind of getting in and stepping their toes into more advanced techniques and tactics are going to start to experience, you know, the basics of behavioral-based tracking, uh, lead nurturing, and, and dynamic scoring and targeting. So a lot of stuff there. Um, I know that you came in from Pardot, Matt, and as you were talking about with some of your marketing automation tips, how has that changed over the last five years? I mean, I know we're talking about current stats in the industry, but it, it feels like a lot of people haven't really advanced their application of marketing automation. But what are you seeing? No, I, I see the exact same thing. Um, so so it, it's, a, it's a true fact that we as marketers are kind of in this interesting limbo. We've had all of these tools and techniques that we've, uh, leveraged for many years, and this thing called marketing automation came out, and a lot of us just kind of retrofitted existing technologies, uh, best practices into this new tool of marketing automation. And what we've seen is, is two really interesting things. So just by adopting marketing automation, companies are able to get value out of it without changing their best practices. The companies that do adopt new best practices along with the new tool are seeing increases in things like ROI by 300%. They're seeing increases in email engagement by 4x. 
Um, you know, so the technology in itself is so amazing that people are able to see value currently without adopting the best practices. But my prediction is that's not going to last much longer. Um, because now what we're seeing is, I believe my research proved in um, 2014 that over 59% of Fortune 500 have adopted marketing automation. That was up from 23% just the previous year. So as more people do adopt it, the, uh, you know, the ability to get a solid gain or an ROI out of the investment without adopting new tools is going to diminish to the point where you're going to have to adopt new best practices. I think we're still a couple of years away from that, probably two. Um, but, you know, so that, that's kind of the current state of things. And unfortunately, it's because it's so, uh, it does so many cool things that just did not exist before. People can get value out of it without having to change. But then those people that do change, those are the, the companies that are really getting those, you know, phenomenal results that you hear about uh, and all those types of things. That's that's an interesting uh, you know, way of looking at, at this almost in cohorts of people who have adopted or still need to go to that next level. Um, you know, given we call this content pros, you know, let's let's try and focus on you know, the people who are doing it, doing it right, and want to take it to the next level. And you know, I just got back myself last week. I was in San Francisco at the Serious Decisions Technology Exchange, and it was it was talking a lot about how you almost view marketing automation solutions as a hub, and then you kind of build around them in terms of adding on, you know, complementary products, whether they're endpoint solutions or whether they're, you know, point solutions. Um, and what are some of the, the biggest pieces that you advise people to think about complementing on top of a marketing automation software? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more in, on that, the track that they took over that Serious Decision Summit on uh, essentially what I call the hub and smoke model, spoke model. And, and I agree that marketing automation has to be a part of the hub. I think if you look at the entire framework um, or, you know, toolbox or set of connected tools, whatever phrase you want to use, once again, it's going to depend on what your actual goal and your marketing strategy is. Um, your marketing strategy is going to dictate your set of tools in the future. Let me give you a really good example. If you're in the B2B space, a part of a modern toolbox will be account-based marketing technology. Um, and However, that does not necessarily apply in a, to a B2C marketer because they don't necessarily target accounts. They target individuals. right? They don't target IP addresses. Um, and conversely, you know, you're going to have to have a website. and You've got to have some type of way of doing dynamic content. Um, that can either be inside of a marketing automation platform. That can be something much more extensive, which ties on to a marketing automation platform. And um, so, you know, it really depends on kind of what your plan and your goal is. I mean, there's a lot of big B2C marketers. Let's not say a lot, but uh, there are some B2C marketers that are now getting into dynamic, um, personalized direct mail, which is then based off of a buyer's journey. So the hub or the marketing automation platform is managing that journey and then pushing direct mail off for a one-to-one -one dynamic experience that's then being sent to that person's house. So I think the answer is yes, everyone has to understand that it's a hub and spoke model, that you need to have a centralized point of management uh, and then distributed execution. Uh, and I think the thing that everyone must keep in mind is that that connection and that distributed distribution brings up an entirely new role inside the marketing department, right? That moves this idea of a systems architect into our marketing world, um, which is an interesting question, which we've never had to deal with. That's typically an IT role. 
again, Matt, you raised some amazing points, and, and one that you hit on was personalization. And I wanted to ask before you were answering your question, you know, what are the biggest challenges for content marketers today? And I think you hit on one: personalization and keeping up with the amount of content. But I guess you know, let's keep that question in there and maybe frame it around trying to deliver on those one-to-one -one experiences. How does that change things for a content marketer, and how does that make life more difficult? Uh, I mean, it, it it makes it complete. Well. I, it changes their life completely, right? It changes our idea of saying, I can craft a message. I only have to craft one message, and I have to figure out what that message is, which we would call waterfall planning if you're looking at this in a you know, structure of, of um, how we do things, to what we now call agile, which is how do I then dynamically create environments which are completely dynamic to an individual's experience, right? So we go from this linear program of I'm going to take a consumer down this path, which is linear, follows waterfall planning and execution, to something completely dynamic, which can only be managed by agile efforts, such as now anytime someone comes and experiences me or has any type of engagement with me on any channel, that experience has to be dynamic to the moment, um, which takes a very different type of creation because mathematically you cannot create enough content to have dynamic or static pieces of content for every one of those experiences. I mean, you can even boil that down to the most basic level of persona base. And if, if the, let's kind of combine a couple of these questions, right? What will be what will the most advanced marketers in 2016 start doing? They will stop looking at personas as a job title and understand their behavioral, um, you know, denotion instead. And if you can then get that idea, then you can start to look at your role rather than saying, I need to create a piece of content for CEOs to a, a behavioral context where we would say anybody asking these questions or exhibiting this behavior on any channel, these are the things we then need to respond to them with or provide them with. So I, I think that's kind of how, we'll, how we have changed it and what you'll see, um, how we'll start you know, looking at our, our roles differently moving forward. That's interesting, and you know, it reminds me of a of another podcast we had recently uh, with Pat Spenner from CEB, where we we talked about you know just thinking about the different influencers uh, throughout that sales process and how we need to create content not just for that one motivator, but for the different people who are influencing a decision. Is, is that something that you think you know? I, I'm sure you're familiar with that CEB model. You know, is that something that you think really ties in here? Yeah, I think the statistic currently stands that in a B2B buying cycle, there are seven people that we have to influence or, or inside of the decision-making model. Uh, typically inside of a CRM or database, we only know of two of those seven, right? So, you know, there are lots of people who make decisions and there's lots of people who have different roles within making that decision. Um, and, and their job title does not denote what that role is. Um, it does not denote what their desires are, um, you know, and I think that's, that's something that we can easily see and understand, um, but, you know, and, and then creating experiences for that then have to be, you know, back to the managed by a centralized platform, distributed across multiple channels, stay consistent to the moment, um, so it kind of makes a very complex environment, which is very different than the one we're used to. Matt, it feels like a big part of content marketing now has become marketing your own marketing. And I think that most of our focus has always been external, but in a big company like Salesforce, what things are you doing to make sure that your colleagues are also seeing the content you produce and using that effectively? 
No, that's a great question. Um, and, and I think what we have to look at is it's content usage, right? So uh, back to another statistic, 70% of the content we create does not get utilized. Why doesn't it get utilized? And it's to the simple fact that people don't know how to use it or when to use it, right? Because there's so many different times when we, we have a piece of content that's specific to the moment, yet there's the disconnect between us and the sales rep or us and the advocate or us and, and the experience of how do we get that correct piece of content to the correct person to get it into the correct you know, buyer's hands at the right time. So we're doing a lot of things. Um, so we're using uh, different types of, well, I mean, let's, let's take a couple steps back. We have technology in place to kind of help utilize. Um, so we're using marketing automation to be able to notify salespeople of you know, when to talk to the correct person. Um, we then have actual people who then work with those salespeople to help explain uh, every time a new piece of content comes out, what it's used for, you know, how should we utilize this, um, you know, when should you share this. Um, you know, we have a lot of different both manual as well as technological things that we use to kind of help make sure that the correct person knows what to talk about and what to share at the correct time. Um, so it, it's, and I think that's the answer. There is no one thing. It's a combination. Um, that will be, once again, a major job of us in the future. Like you say, it's marketing or home marketing. It's how do we make sure that we get value out of the things that we're doing? Um, and if the content that we create does not get to the correct person which, via whichever method or channel it goes through, it does us no good. Um, so we do have to make sure that we empower all of our employees to understand what content to share at what time with whom. Um, and you're right, that is another one of the big major things that could be different about the future that we didn't have to worry about in the past. That's interesting. You touched on like whose job that is, right? And and I think that's that's one of the things you know lately when when you have these discussions around you know what's the best way to structure the content team? Where does the content team sit? And I was having this conversation with someone recently around whether or not, as an example, the content team should be viewed part of you know the demand gen team. And you know the person who I was chatting with, her argument was, well, the problem when you do that is you think of content being used primarily for lead gen as opposed to at the different stages of the funnel. So, you know, not sure if you agree with that, but I think the bigger question that I've got for you is, you know, who should own this usage of content responsibility throughout the different stages? Is it one person? Is it many people? Uh, and that's a really good question. And, and I, I really like the answer that the, uh, the person gave you. Um, because it is totally true, you know, if one department, I think that the simple answer is that content is not tied to one stage in the sales cycle. So if we put it into the hands of a single department, we then fall into the same category, which we find marketers in now of, well, the website typically was IT. And so since it was IT, IT had a bunch of other roles and then marketing needing to get IT resources, to change a form on the website or put content up, then we're the last you know, in line. So if we give it to the demand gen department um, and say, but if you need content, you got to go to demand gen, I don't think that's going to work. I think we need to realize that it is across all stages of the buying cycle, both, you know, pre they buy, when they buy, after they're a customer, you know, increasing lifetime value. And I think each one of those departments needs to be able to uh, create their own content for their own needs. Uh, but then that also then brings up the management question of, well, then how do we keep a brand consistent? How do we keep all these things consistent? Um, we may start to see uh, roles and responsibilities kind of, kind of shifting from content just from demand gen to, to 
back to almost internal agencies in-house um, where you've got, you know, there used to be a creative department. Now that will probably be just a content department um, that's creating content and, and maybe also the systems architects. They know how, you know, when content does get shared, what data can they obtain from that content engagement to then dynamically change other things, uh, other experiences. Um, so it's a great question. I think the answer is distributed. It's going to have to be distributed across, um, you know, different departments and roles. Yeah, no, that's uh, you're definitely hitting my spot, soft spot here because that's uh, you know that's what we built our software at my company, Uberflip for is is that exact problem of of IT being that obstacle. Um, you know, one of the things I'm curious if you've got any experience. I mean, we we help a lot of our customers kind of coach them through this, but you know, I, as much as we want to remove IT from that that discussion, that decision-making process altogether, it's, it's not reality. I mean, you know, especially, you know, selling into a company like Salesforce or any of our, you know, our listeners who are listening in obviously know that when they want to adopt technology, they do need to get IT to, to sign off on a lot of this. You know, what's your, what's your advice for, for companies navigating that process and making that kind of case for, you know, improving the norm and, and stripping some of this off of IT? Oh, geez. Um, well, so in terms of selling into companies and making it easier for IT to, to sign off, I mean, the, the number one issue that IT has is security. Um, so you have to make sure, and, and that's one of the, I mean, I was just up at a data conference in Toronto and, you know, we had, you know, the head of, of the Toronto uh, Privacy Commission come and talk to everybody and it, they make really good points. You know, if, if you have a data breach and since most everything now is SaaS based, you know, data breaches are a thing that IT is probably number one concerned about. If you have that data breach, that can be one of the, the largest um negative experiences that your business could ever create for a consumer buyer, potential buyer, right? The, they say it takes four years to overcome or, or to, to get out of the, the, you know, goodwill debt that a, a data security breach causes. So that's kind of the number one con concern with them. The second is then does it connect into the ecosystem and environment? Um, and, and that question is, is rapidly shifting from the IT department to the marketing department. I mean, you know, going back to all the stats that we know of, you know, marketing now owns the IT, the largest IT budget. They own the majority of the software and things that create the dynamic experiences for consumers. And their number one question is going to be, what data can I get out of this engagement that can then be utilized by other tools and technologies and systems to create better experiences on other places and other channels? Um, and so that's going to be a major questioning concern um, for, for those people. Well, another very insightful comment, Matt, and this is the part of the show where we always like to introduce one of our sponsors who help makes it happen, and fortunately for us, it's directly tied to what we've been talking about. So if we talk about content and trying to make sure that all the different groups have their responsibilities defined and they know what they're going to do, well, every single one of us sends emails. We send and receive email, and Sigster is a company that can do some amazing things by helping you to customize your email signatures. So you can help enable your entire team to promote content, your social channels, anything that needs to exist in the bottom of your email, you can customize that and deploy it across your team. So they've actually created an amazing ebook. It's three creative ways to unlock the power of email signatures. Again, this is by Sigster. You can get that ebook at bit.ly slash three creative ways, and that's the number three. So the number three creative ways, and learn how you can use email signatures to help deploy your content and work across your team and collaborate. 
So Matt, I, I really want to ask you, we, we've seen each other on the speaking circuit quite a bit, and I know that we're both heavy practitioners of sarcasm and kind of influence our own tone of presentations, right? So you right. know, in a day where many folks are leading with corporate messages and pretty heavy on product, talking about their product, how can we stand out as content practitioners and find that consistent tone that we really feel good about? Uh, that, that's a tough question, right? It's balancing the humanity with uh, the business politics. Um, and I think one of my favorite quotes on this is uh, Tim, Tim Washer um, over at Cisco, and, and he throws a slide up on the screen. It says, 71% of all of your readers are human. Um, and that's, that's one of my favorite quotes. It's, it's that we fail to, when we create these business personas and this idea of branding, um, it's, a, it's a historical idea that comes from the days that, you know, what we physically show people creates the brand in their head, and, and that's not the true thing in the world that we live in, right? The experiences and the things that they experience are the things that dictate the brand, right? And experiences are no longer just simply visual. They're, they're auditory, they're tactile, they're all kinds of things. Um, so, you know, and, and to this point, you know, one of my favorite companies that's doing some stuff that is really outside the bounds is a company called Talia. Um, they're a, a, um, a software that helps, you know, Fortune 50 and, and, you know, some of the world's globally biggest uh, companies get paid faster, right? So they sell to the, um, you know, the accountants and, and the CFOs, these really big companies who typically are the, the stiffest of the stiff of what we would think, right? Big, you know, big, large corporations and the accounting department, yet they have campaigns that, you know, you might have to beat me out, but are called, you know, F-U-C-K-I-T, you know, that's, that's the name of their last campaign. And... It did phenomenal. You know, I think they have uh, all of their videos, which are very irreverent, um, touch on some very interesting things and look at things in very different ways, use lots of humor, lots of comedy, um, and, and that's part of their brand. Um, you know, rather than just, you know, saying, you know, the, the very corporate, the very stiff, the very buttoned up approach. Um, so in this idea of content, you know, how do we break through and, and how do we engage? I think just we have to remember that what people really desire and what people really want from our content and they don't want us to, you know, appear just stiff and then button up. They, they want people to recognize that they're human and that they want to engage with other humans, not with these amorphous things that don't exist. Um, and I think that's kind of, if we can do that, then I think we'll be able to break through in the future. And Talia is a great example uh, of, of being able to break through with content. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've seen uh, a lot of Talia's content before. I mean, they're they're a customer of ours at Uberflip. Uh, they use uh, you know a lot of software. I, I actually saw Baji, who's one of their marketers, present at uh, Vidyard Space Camp recently, and it, it was a great presentation. And really, to your point, talks a lot about personalization and you know, how how you really need to engage with people in a way that resonates. You know, what are you seeing? I mean, we talked a lot today about things like account-based marketing, um, you know, what are you seeing as the best ways to really personalize for people, as you said earlier, while not having to focus on creating too much content? I mean, I think, you know, we talk about the importance of personalization, but then we talk to a lot of marketing teams who say, listen, I'm, I'm having trouble creating enough content uh, for the top of the funnel or the middle of the funnel. How, how do you see people reusing a lot of content uh, as, we, as we were hitting on earlier in terms of the leverage factor? Yeah, I think that's a great question. The, the, the simple answer is called dynamic. Um, and so if people can just understand that dynamic content 
first off, all content now has to be served up dynamically. If not, there's no way that you can get the correct content to the correct person at the correct time. Um, second is the idea of the persona no longer being a job title but being tied to behaviors. Um, I mean, that just it literally will change the volume of, of content that you actually have to create. And third is I think people need to realize that content can also – anything with a URL technically is content. So there's so much content that other people create. And the example I would like to use is a retweet. Right? And we all click on retweets. We, it's specifically stated that that person did not create that content, yet we engage with it. So I think we should realize that consumers do not demand that we are the sole creator of the content. They enjoy you know, us sharing things, and, and they enjoy us helping them find new things. They don't care who creates it. So, I mean, if we can embrace all three of those simple ideas, um, that can really lower the amount of total content that we have to create and provide our consumers with better experience. It's kind of a win-win scenario. I think those are some awesome tips. And building on that, if if we're talking about quantity of content and quality of content, and sometimes the debate between the two when you really have to have lots of high-quality content, you know, what's one area that content marketers could focus on to deliver more valuable content? So whether that's original research or doing something themselves or for repurposing content, if they only have time to reprioritize one thing for next year for content, what should they do? Oh, God. The silver bullet question. Come on, Chris. You know we hate these things. There, there is no. There is no. That's why I ask it. Yeah. <laughs> You're that guy today. All right. So let me let me do my best on this one. So if you can do just one thing in 2016 um, to be better at content creation, I, I mean, I think the simple answer is. God, I mean, research is great. Um, you know, it's got to look good. It's everything. I think just maybe stepping. I, I, here we go. Stepping outside the bounds in, in, in agile creation, I'll, I'll throw this one out there. It's the, the one thing that you can do, and, and it goes across all things. Move your content creation from waterfall planning and execution to agile execution, right? Essentially starting with the, the most minimal viable product or minimal viable product, which means the smallest piece of, of content that you can create that provides any or the smallest iota of value to anyone. And then start sharing that in small groups, getting feedback from those people by actually picking up the telephone, calling them, um, asking them how they found it, what they were looking for when they found it, and what they thought of it, and then iterating on that content and making it a better and better piece, that's then when you'll know, the, you know what should we actually research, what questions should we ask, and I think that will help you make better content quicker and faster uh, and, and doesn't matter. It can kind of just go across. So I think the way that we create content, um, if you change that, that, that can have the biggest impact in 2016. I love that. I think uh, I think that's a nice way to simplify the way we start the year versus starting in a really complex way as we always try and do. So, um, you know, we're running out of time here, Matt. But one of the things we always like to to finish off with from a fun look back was where you wanted to go with your career way back as a kid. Um, so, you know, you've you've obviously become you know, a major thought leader in the in the space of marketing insights. But you know, where did where did you want to be way back when? Okay, I, I wanted to do everything just like everyone else, I think. Um, so I think the funniest thing is that this question is always like, you know, let's see how far we got from where we thought we'd be. Um, so when I was uh, in my young teens, I wanted to be a professional mountain bike racer. As I got older, I wanted to be a professional bass fisherman. Then I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, and and uh, so I, I've been all over the place, but I, I never, just like anyone else in the B2B space, if there is anyone whoever said, I want to be a B2B marketer, God bless them, but I do not think that person exists. I think we all ended up here um, for various different reasons, and, and 
I think in the future, we won't say, I want to be a, a marketer, I want to own brand. I think it will all be the same, and I don't think there will be that difference between B2B and B2C like there was in the past. Um, and I think it will bring a whole new type of people that will grow up saying, you know, I just want to be a marketer, and what that means is exactly what we do, rather than, you know, being uh, siloed out between B2C and B2B, and hopefully some kid will want to be that. I think that's a great point. There's probably going to be a new wave of people that will say, I want to be Don Draper when I grow up, right? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time today, Matt. I think there's always exciting things going on in your world, so we appreciate you taking the time to share it. And on behalf of Randy Frisch from Uberflip, I am Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud. You can follow more podcasts at contentprospodcast.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you like to consume your podcast. If you have a minute, please do leave us a review. It's very important to us. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Uberflip, and by Sixter and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by audiobag.com.